0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God which we hear this evening is from Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. In morning devotion this morning, I asked the kids if they they were sad that they only had a day left of school. If they were sad that uh, pretty soon they wouldn't see their teachers again for three months. Well, you can see the response on the devotion I posted on Facebook and YouTube if you want, but you could probably imagine it. It was about what you'd expect. It's hard for kids to be sad about not seeing their teachers when they're just a couple days away from summer vacation, isn't it? When the apostles return from seeing Jesus ascend into heaven, we might expect them to be sad. Jesus is left. He's gone. They understand that they will not see him again as they have, not until they go to be with him anyway. They understand that he will not walk with them and teach them the way he has for the last three years. We would expect them to be sad, but Luke tells us it's not true. It's not so. Luke tells us that they return rejoicing greatly and worshiping Christ. It's clear from this that they understand It's clear from their joy, their great joy, their exceedingly great joy, that they understand what the ascension means. It's clear they understand that it means that the Lord reigns and rules, that He is now the Lord of lords, that He has sat down on His throne, that He will come again, and that He rules all things for the good of His church. And when we remember that, when we remember what the ascension means, it's hard to be sad. Very often we are sad in our lives and dismayed and downcast because we forget that Jesus reigns. Kind of like the scene from Star Wars, right? Where Leia, Luke, and Han are going up to receive their medals. Nobody's sad, right? Or the scene from uh, Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn rides into the city victorious. No one is sad. There is only great rejoicing. The victor rides on a white horse. Jesus reigns. And our text makes it clear not only that Jesus reigns, but that we reign with him. In our text, you see the not only Jesus riding on a white horse, but the armies of heaven following after him, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Jesus' ascension means that he is. Not that he will, but that he is ruling. That he is victorious. That his kingdom has come and that we are riding with him. We don't usually think of ourselves as gallant, valiant soldiers riding on white horses with flowing white robes behind us, right? That's not usually the picture we see in the mirror. Yeah, that's how Jesus describes us here. We've already seen in the book of Revelation <clears throat> in chapter 7 that those in having clothed in white robes are those who came out of the great tribulation and were washed by the blood of Christ. And here they are, the church militant, the believers, riding with Christ as he uses his word, preaching his word to subdue and rule the nations. This is you and me. As Revelation 20, verse 6 reminds us, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. It's hard to be sad. When we remember that not only does Jesus reign, but we reign with him. In our text, Jesus is called, is described as the one who, who has a name written that no one knows but himself. The conqueror, the victorious one, the one riding on a white horse with a name that no one knows. It's kind of odd in our text since our text gives him three different names. He, calls him faith, he He is called Faithful and True. His name is the Word of God, and the name written on his thigh is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But all of these names, along with many others that we can think of for Jesus, like Jesus, like Christ, only a part, aren't they? Only a part of who he is and what he has done. The fullness of his name, the fullness of who he is, the fullness of his glory, the fullness of his love is something that, that we cannot comprehend, that we cannot know, at least not now. In Judges uh, chapter 13, verse 18, Manoah asked the Lord. The Lord appears to Manoah, and Manoah asks him, What is your name? And the response of the Lord is, Why do you ask my name? It is too wonderful. Too wonderful to know or comprehend. When Moses has to see the glory of the Lord, the Lord responds to him the same, right? No one can see my glory and live. It is too wonderful, too great, too glorious for you. The names that we know of Jesus are are already a description of, of love beyond our understanding, the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world, the Redeemer, the Savior the Lamb who was slain, the Good Shepherd. Those names that we know are already beyond our understanding, and yet our text shows us that his true name, the fullness of his name, is greater even than these. It's hard to be sad when we remember how wonderful his name is, how wonderful his his love is. The Bible says the same thing about us, by the way. That we also have a name which no one knows except for us and God. In Revelation 22, sorry, Revelation 2, verse 17, the Lord says, I will give him to the one who overcomes, I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written that no one knows except him who receives it. Just as no one knows the the fullness of who Christ is, we we cannot know, we cannot comprehend. So also, no one knows. fullness of who you are except for you and your god no one knows your service no one knows your struggle no one knows your hardship and your suffering no one knows your sin except for the lord the depth of your sin and he has forgiven that we we love to think that it's That it's our rights or even our job to judge and to criticize one another, to gossip and talk about people behind their backs. We are so certain that we know what is good and what is bad and who is good and who is bad and and are in a position to judge other people's faults. The Lord says that He alone knows our name, who we are and what we have done. He alone knows our sin and our struggles, and he has forgiven our sin. What does it matter to us what name other people give to us, or what other people think of us? Our sin is forgiven by God. You are already judged by God. He knows your name, and he has given you a new name, a name that has wiped away the sin in Christ, and has made you the children of God. 1 Corinthians 13.12 Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. It doesn't matter what name other people give to us. What matters is the name that God gives to us. And the name that he gives to us is the name that has been washed, forgiven. A name that has removed our sin in Christ Jesus. It's hard to be sad. When we remember how wonderful Christ's name is. And how God has given to us a new name as well that no one knows except Him. In our text, Jesus reigns victorious, doesn't He? Having destroyed all His enemies. In our text, His garments are dripping with blood. But that blood, that's not the the blood of the Lamb. That's not the blood that was poured out for us on the cross. That's not what this reference is so often the when we talk about Christ and blood, that's what we think of. But here, it's the blood of the Lord's enemies. This is the, the conqueror who has gone out and has crushed his enemies beneath his feet so that their blood has stained his garments. This is the one who treads the winepress of God's wrath. And we sang about that just before our sermon. He, who is this who comes from Eden? That song describes for us this is the blood of his enemies. The picture that we have here in Revelation comes from Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, verses 1 to 3. This is where that that song comes from as well. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Boaz-Ra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Because I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. Edom was the the ancient enemy of Israel, wasn't he? You remember that to Rebekah, The wife of Isaac uh, were born twins, Esau and Jacob. And to Jacob was given the name Israel, and to his descendants, and to Esau and his descendants was given the name Edom. And while they were still in their mother's womb, Rebekah went to inquire of the Lord, and he said, Two people, two nations struggle inside you. This Edom was the enemy that Israel struggled with when he was still in the womb of his mother. That Jacob struggled with his whole life and that the people of Israel struggled with afterwards. This is the the ancient enemy of the Lord's people. And the mighty conqueror has gone out and has vanquished their enemy. He has freed them from that struggle. The one who is faithful and just has destroyed the enemy of his people. Our sinful nature would love to take this passage and to to use it to think that, well, God is going to, to destroy my enemies. He's going to ride out maybe, maybe against the Russians or maybe against my political enemies, right? The Republicans or the Democrats, whichever you think of as the enemy, right? Or, or that guy down the street that is always making you angry. God is going to destroy him. But this is the faithful and true conqueror, right? Who sees, how does our text describe, with eyes of flame, eyes that pierce through the outer appearance and sees to the depths of our hearts. He does not ride out against these outward enemies, he rides out against the true enemy. The enemy that we have contended with, that we like Jacob have struggled with from before the time we were born, our own sinful nature. It is Satan in all his works, in all his ways that Jesus has destroyed. It is the blood of our sinful nature that stains his garments. That he has conquered through through our baptism, right? That sinful nature that he conquers, that he does battle with and, and destroys every time we receive the Lord's Supper. It's true that on the last day God will bring judgment on the nations who uh, refuse to repent and believe on His name, those who, who follow Satan in their, their unbelief and their disregard of Christ, that's true, but that's not what's going on here. Here the Lord comes riding to conquer the enemy with which we have wrestled our own sinful nature and the temptations with, face, with which face us each and every day. This is who the great conqueror has destroyed. It's hard to remain sad, isn't it? It's hard to remain sad when we understand and see that the Lord has conquered even our own sin and set us free from our own sinful nature and desires and has made us kings and priests with him and with God our Father. This is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. This is the rider on the white horse. This is the ascended Lord who rules all things for the good of his church. It's hard to be sad when we remember that Jesus reigns. Amen.